welcome to The Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations, now covering Bridgerton on Netflix. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Julian Davis. We're proud partners of the Frolic Podcast Network, a community made up of your favorite voices in all of Romancelandia and beyond. Keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at The Pemberley, and you can email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Pemberley Podcast, where this week we'll be diving into episode 8 of Bridgerton, the last episode of the season. Before we dive into Bridgerton, we're going to talk a bit about the things we're watching outside of this show. I can go first, and uh, something I just started watching last night, actually, is on HBO Max. It's called Selena Plus Chef. It is Selena Gomez learning how to cook with like top chefs and it was very cleverly done they have like this whole remote filming setup so that there's no contact with anyone so it's really like over like a high quality zoom call that she is getting cooking lessons some episodes she does great some episodes go very uh, like everything that can go wrong does go wrong but you know she kind of works through it it's been a fun show and also it feels like they're manageable recipes that like oh i could do this who are some of the chefs that she cooks with and i mean are they doing like some really complicated recipes sometimes they're doing complicated recipes she did one with roy Choi, who's known for this um kogi food truck in los angeles it's like korean barbecue tacos he he did like this whole breakfast taco with her that involved so many ingredients, but she handled it well. With Nancy Silverton, who's a chef also in LA from Mozza, they did like this more Italian roasted vegetables uh, spread and, and dinner, and Selena's oven was not working. So you can imagine roasted vegetables. Uh, you need an oven. So that was a whole journey. If you've watched like Chef's Table or any kind of food shows, uh, you probably will recognize some of them, but they don't go easy on her. You know, they make the recipes complicated because uh, she'll rise to the challenge, basically. It sounds like something that's like very interesting and new. Yeah. So what are you currently watching, Jillian? I feel like in a lot of ways, I'm watching the opposite of this because it's not new. It's not a fresh <laughs> thing. And I just keep watching Howl's Moving Castle, also on HBO Max because it makes me happy and it brings me joy. And you know what? There is some cooking in there. In fact, I was on TikTok the other day to the surprise of no one and uh, someone recreated that breakfast that Hal makes everyone with, um, he, like even the eggs look so much like it and he did it over a campfire. So we like fed the eggshells to Calcifer. But yeah, he had like the perfect block of cheese and like the tea and all of it. And so I was just rewatching that the other day and it made me happy and it made me sad. The music, the sort of theme music from that is like one of my favorite orchestral songs in all of movies. <laughs> Would you ever recreate any of the dishes? Oh, absolutely. You know, I don't know how many of you people out there follow my personal Instagram, but really the only thing I put in my Instagram stories is the food that I've made in quarantine. The most exciting thing I do most of the time is master a recipe. And so I, I like to post the finished results with the list of ingredients because I believe that cooking is fun. It should not be a chore. Everyone has to eat. So I think everyone should know how to cook something. You don't have to be a chef like, up and coming chef Selena Gomez. And so I, I like posting the ingredients to let people know like, this is all you need. <laughs> nice. 
perhaps we will go straight into discussing our final episode of Bridgerton, episode eight, After the Rain. What are our overall thoughts in terms of like loving, hating, um, all the things about Bridgerton? I mean, I love the aesthetic of it. I like the world. It'll be interesting the fact that each season will follow a different Bridgerton child (laughs) in a way. So we're not gonna just be following Daphne and Simon anymore. The world itself has been fun to be in. It has. I feel like it's been a while since we've had a really like high budget period show. So it's exciting to sort of like have something new, especially because I'm pretty sure like every single costume was like designed for this show. Like I'm sort of on costume TikTok. Something they've shown is the same dress being worn by various actresses in various movies that take place in the same time period. And part of me wonders if this could even happen with Bridgerton because it's just such its own thing. I mean, the costume designer, it's her name is Ellen. She was the costume designer on the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella with Brandy in Whitney Houston. So you can imagine like how vibrant and colorful those costumes are and I think she brought that into here it's a little more toned down but still very colorful the Cinderella is just like very bright and extravagant Mm -hmm. and this was still very bright and extravagant in its own way but all uniquely made for this show obviously the most extravagant ones are worn by like the main cast And they're sort of like simpler but still beautiful versions that all of the background actors got to wear. Well, yeah, and there's just so many embellishments, like especially like with Featherington costumes, like lots of flowers, lots of glitter, lots of that stuff. In terms of like each season being a different Bridgerton child, I have not been shy about my (laughs) dislike of Anthony Bridgerton who is certifiably the worst. We're going to discuss him a bit in this episode. I I feel like he gets um, a little better. Yeah. He sort of like gains a drop of self-awareness in this episode, which is refreshing because he hasn't had any of it this whole season. Season two is going to be all about his love story. And they recently announced the actress who would be playing his love interest. So I'm very excited to see how they're going to meet and like what her character is in the show. Simone Ashley was announced to be it's Kate Sharp instead of Kate Sheffield. So they are updating it to reflect her own cultural background. People are very excited. I think she's more known for being in sex education. I've heard great things about her because of this casting. So I'm excited to see how she'll be in this role. I think I've talked about sex education on this show and I think it's a, a very great TV show. She does a great job and I can't wait to see her in Bridgerton. Hopefully she will teach Anthony Bridgerton how to be a person. Well, hopefully that won't be her job. Hopefully Hopefully he can learn himself and yes. matches her level of exactly. being amazing. So hopefully she just doesn't put up with like him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. So previously on Bridgerton, Simon and Daphne face the harsh reality of their love match marriage. Daphne wakes up to the idea that she could be married to Simon in name only. Meanwhile, Colin and Marina pick up the pieces of their broken hearts and their broken engagement. So we're tying up a lot of loose ends in this episode. We get the big reveal of who Lady Whistledown is at the very end. Do we want to talk about it now and see how it informs everything that we see? Yeah, let's go for it. I yeah. mean, if, I don't we I don't I feel like we don't have to give any spoilers because know. everyone knows this is the last episode. Yeah. I feel like most people have finished this series anyway. Lady Whistledown is Penelope Featherington. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, 
I'm glad we're getting this out of the way. I actually do think it's worth mentioning up top because part of what we're going to be talking about in this episode is Eloise's journey because she is pretty confident, very pleased with herself that she has found the identity of Lady Whistledown, which is Genevieve Delacroix, aka the Modiste, <laughs> aka her brother Benedict's new girlfriend. And she's she's pretty proud of herself. We have no reason to believe that she's wrong. I feel like too in the last episode when she kind of had her moment of like piecing things together, I actually think she came to the conclusion that it was Penelope or like was suspecting it, but maybe was in a denial of like, but my best friend would tell me if she was Lady Whistledown. Like she would never hold that kind of secret from me. So I think she was still trying to be like, who could it be? Like, cause otherwise I feel like she would have been staring at Genevieve in that carriage being like, it's you, it's you. <laughs> I was also a bit confused but I, I, I think the very thing that kind of told us who Lady Whistledown was is the thing that also made us not suspect Penelope, which is that she is the one who knew the most about Marina's secret pregnancy. That's basically Lady Whistledown. It was a big deal because Lady Whistledown exposed that. It ruined the Featheringtons. It ruined Marina's marriage with Colin Bridgerton. It ruined her and her two older sisters, you know? And because we're like, Penelope would never ruin and her family like that. That's such a horrible thing. No one would ever want anyone to find out about that. But yeah. she did it. She pulled that trigger and it kind of pointed to her because not everyone, once we kind of found out that it couldn't possibly be a servant, it would have to be someone from the upper class. I mean, that kind of really narrows down who Lady Whistledown could be. The modiste is an obvious choice like to consider it makes sense because she hears everything the only thing is like she's not at those big events so that's the only i mean they could probably be at the dress shop the next day and be gossiping and talking about those events but i think it's still different to have like the insider's view of being there and experiencing everything so a great guess but it's it's penelope <laughs> as i was re-watching this episode i was thinking back to like were the signs there before she exposed marina there was like one Lady Whistledown gossip that I feel like I don't know how Penelope would know this, which is Lady Whistledown wrote about two young men in the town who had a duel. And she's like, I'm not going to name names because this is a crime and these guys will go to jail and I don't want that. But shame on you for doing that. I'd like to know how Penelope knew about that because I feel like nobody knew about that. Like not even yeah. Violet Bridgerton. There's like two, it's a reach theories I have. <laughs> One is like if Colin, because Colin knew, unless he was like stressed about it and he told Penelope of like this happened, but I feel like he was keeping that secret very close to home. The other theory is if she was out early or late getting to the printing press and just happened, her carriage just happened to see them. I don't like that theory. So I think the Colin <laughs> theory is probably best, but it is a good theory. That's a tricky one. Unless she's like in that hooded cloak, just walking around everywhere around town, seeing what gossip there might be. I mean, I would have loved that. I mean, we, in that case, we never would have suspected Penelope because she's always in yellow. And, and yeah. as we see her reveal at the end, she's wearing a very dark cloak. I'm glad that we know it's her. What I'm really curious to know what I'm hoping they're going to explore more of in the next season is why. One of the reasons I think Penelope was able to fly under the radar is because she's just like this kind of innocent young girl with her crush on Colin and she's best friends with like the dorkiest girl in the town and they're just kind of doing <laughs> their dorky girl adventures together. And I'm curious to know 
why it is that she was like, I'm going to reveal everyone's secrets by name and I'm going to charge for it and I'm going to be this powerhouse. I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say that Lady Whistledown is like a titan. You know, the queen wants her out. Like, what prompted Penelope Featherington to have these kinds of ambitions? I mean, in her own house, she's not even like a top choice for for marriage you know like it feels like her mother has more focus on the other two daughters rather than Penelope so it feels like it's a way for her to like claim her voice in this very public but still private manner it could be in a way of like her sort of having control in one area of her life and feeling powerful but I would hope that as future seasons unfold we'll get to know more even seeing like what are the repercussions of like when everyone finds out it's her like what's gonna happen to poor Penelope that's very true I mean I I think the power thing I mean that definitely feels appropriate because she's very ignored like for all the reasons that we didn't suspect her this whole season you know like she's very ignored what was like the first episode that caught Colin like ran into her and he's like, oh, Penn, I didn't see you there. Like standing in the middle of the dance floor. What I find interesting about her, it's not even like I feel like she's using Lady Whistledown to take out her enemies or anything. Everyone is fair game. The good, the bad, she reports it all. Speaking of the good and the bad, (laughs) we can talk about Daphne and Simon. I mean, at the end of the last episode, we found out that Daphne is not pregnant. Pretty much, it seems like their marriage is over. Um, They're just not going to be together. And they're supposed to be posed for a painting that Henry Granville is doing. And he's like, can you just like pretend you're in love? (laughs) And then they actually have like this very genuine moment. But they're still having to pretend to be okay with everything as they're putting on the last ball of the season. More than ever, all eyes are on them. Yeah, and I think it's such a shame because they kind of became notorious in the taunt. I mean, they asked for the queen's special permission for a license so that they could marry as quickly as possible because they were so crazy about each other. Now it's been, what, like a month? And already they can't stand, like Simon is standing as far away from her (laughs) as he possibly can with his arm on the chair. It's like an eighth grade dance of like (laughs) arms extended, just like. Very much, like they're trying not to look at each other, breathe each other's air. They're like actively practicing social distancing as well as they can. You know, it's really sad because like Simon feels like he can't forgive Daphne for doing what she did and she feels like she can't forgive him for lying to her and choosing to hate his father over loving her. That's kind of what's happening around most of their storyline in this episode. They're basically planning a big ball that's going to be the last big event of the season. I think the big thing for Daphne is she feels like there's something that you're not telling me. This is where she kind of dives into more of her investigation because he's going off to a boxing match for his friend and she takes the opportunity to go through Simon's father's old office and finds this desk that he used to keep all of these letters that Simon wrote to him. They're unopened. The the wax seal is still, it's unbroken. So she goes through and reads everything and finally is now understanding all of the struggles that Simon went through as a child in like trying to reach out to his father and being like, look at this progress I'm making. Aren't you proud? And the fact that his father didn't even bother to read any of these letters, but like weirdly kept all of them actually. His father was such an entity and he's dead. So we'll never really know. Daphne and Lady Danbury have a heart to heart. And it sort of reminds me that Lady Danbury said a couple episodes ago, he didn't want a son, he wanted an heir. In a way, Simon was important to him because he represented the future, but he was never actually interested in any of his accomplishments because he was 
was like, oh, you're less than perfect. So you're just like, I, I don't want to put my time and my love into you. Or like, I think he kind of couldn't love him. But so Lady Danbury shows up. Daphne finally gets it. Because she's like, Simon and I were so in love a couple of weeks ago. Like, we were crazy about each other. I think she wants to know more about him and his beginnings. And that's why what led her yeah. to this invading the desk. Simon could not be any more different from a man such as that. Of course, we know that to be true, Your Grace. You helped him overcome his impediment. I merely showed him what he was capable of all along. And that's where Daphne kind of realizes, I guess he's decided not to love me to protect himself. Right. Later at the ball, Simon has a different heart to heart with Lady Danbury and Daphne has a different heart to heart with her mom, which is a very interesting one because, you know, Violet married for love. She was like in love with her husband for many years and then he died. And she was like, look, we went through hard times too. We chose to love each other every day. Yeah, because I think for her, she's like, you can't just give up after one month. Like it's gonna be hard and this is just the beginning. So you had like this perfect courtship in a way. That doesn't mean now it's going to be perfect forever. It is trying to work through those obstacles together. But right now it's like Daphne knows that and Simon to maybe an extent kind of knows that, but they're right now unwilling to work on it together. I feel like Simon has a hint of an awakening because if we jump sideways over to what's happening with his friend Will Mondrich and his deal with Lord Featherington, remember, Lord Featherington's like, I know how to make both of us rich. Uh, you don't want to be fighting forever because you want to support your family and, you know, you're only going to be a young, strong man for only so long. So they basically have an agreement where Mondrich is going to throw this huge match. Lord Featherington bets everything. He bets his house on Mondrich. The losing. deed of his house. My goodness. Ugh. I was just watching this and I was like, you're just the stupidest character <laughs> in this whole show. You're kind of worried for a second. You don't know if Mondrich is actually going to throw the match going into it because you see him like struggle with like, I could have all this opportunity and I could fight all over the country, all over the world if I win this. If I throw it, I could just get a ton of money now and then I don't have to like fight for my family anymore. I'll just have the money. He throws the match. Simon can tell. He goes to his tent afterwards and Mondrich is like, ah, you know, can't win them all. And Simon's like, yeah, especially when you're pretending. And he gives him a lot of crap for throwing the match and throwing away his life. And, and Mondrich sees it very differently. The way you put it, like fighting for his family, it's like both literally and like emotionally, he's fighting for his family. And it's something that he felt like he had to do and I, you know it, later at the ball you actually see like this beautiful necklace that he's bought his wife yeah. and it's just like that little of like because I, I made that decision of family over maybe like this honor I am now able to provide in a bigger way for my family so it's something he had to decide and Simon may not agree but it's kind of like just the way life is for him he's like joining the upper ranks you know yeah. and like there's no shame in that no one's pointing at him being like oh that's the guy who lost the match he's just a high-born man with his beautiful wife there you know yeah so lord featherington now also has all this money goes to his home and is like we're rich we're rich again <laughs> and lady featherington immediately is like we're getting new dresses for the girls like they're gonna look their best at the ball things seem to be going well for them like oh great everything's gonna be work itself out it doesn't but you know, we'll get to that <laughs> now that we're in the featherington household Marina is also dealing with some aftermath of her decisions. So she thought her little tea mixture was going to 
terminate her pregnancy and she would be done. So to her utter surprise, the letter that Daphne sent worked. Not in the way that we're any of us were expecting though, unfortunately, because while a Crane man has arrived to their household, it is not Sir George Crane, it is his older brother. We find out the very sad news that Sir George has died on the battlefield, and he was actually like writing a letter to Marina to be like, I'm gonna come back, I'm, we're, we're gonna run away together, and this child, like it's gonna be so wonderful, you and I, but he was never able to send that final letter. Marina's in a place where she's like, <laughs> I'm not pregnant anymore. Like, I don't need to deal with, like, getting married so quickly. So the brother actually proposes to her, which was like a, oh, I guess this works kind of moment for Lady Featherington. She's like, are we making this work? We're happening. This is happening. But Marina, because she thinks, like, her situation's different now, refuses. Marina's entire storyline this whole season has been, I'm pregnant, I've got to get a man to marry me now so that I can trick him into thinking it's his baby. She almost got away with it with Colin, but now the perfect opportunity has fallen into her lap. This guy is like, I will, I know my brother took liberties with your virtue. I want to do the right thing since he's not here to do it and I'd like to offer to marry you. So like, there's no pretending, there's no tricking this guy. And she says no, because she's like, I can't imagine marrying for anything other than love. I do not know this man. I do not love this man. I cannot marry this man. George cared for you very much, Miss Thompson. And that will never change. But he would have wanted you to be looked after. It's kind of a shocker, but as she's like leaving the room later on, she feels something in her abdomen and she's like, I need a doctor. Where we discover her concoction did not work (laughs) and she is still with child. She is still pregnant. And so she's kind of back to where she started. She calls Sir Crane back, George's older brother, and is like, I accept your offer of marriage because, you know, I'm pregnant. I want to look out for my child. I want to do the right thing. And I mean, another very dramatic thing that happens with the Featheringtons, and this is kind of getting into the end of it, Lord Featherington and all of his winnings, and he comes back and he celebrates, and Philippa has her dowry back. So maybe the guy who's super into cheese could propose to her again, (laughs) Lord Finch or whatever his name is. We see Lord Featherington celebrating in a brothel. We see not a woman, but two guys that we met at the boxing match. Um, The one he was like, I hear I can trust you guys with like a lot of money. And so all we see is that they like to talk to him. You see the little bottle of poison on the on their table. We cut back to all the Featherington ladies arriving back home. It's been a successful evening. Oh, my lady, there is news. What is your husband, Mom? You're saying he is dead. The Bow Street runners have questions. That's horrible thing number one. Horrible thing number two is Lady Featherington's like, let me just check on the money really quickly. And she goes to the big leather bag with all the notes in it, all the bank notes in it, and it is completely empty. (laughs) It's so very telling of her character. And I think we also find out her name's Fiona. Her immediate reaction is not, what happened? Oh my goodness, like immediately crying about her husband. Her first reaction is, what happened to the money? Is there still money? (laughs) She goes to check on the money and then she kind of breaks down. So you really just see where her priorities are because I think, you know, later she has a bit of a heart to heart with Marina of like, so you're in a marriage, 
It's not a love match. How do you deal with that? And I think that's been a lot of Fiona's journey of like, she's been in this marriage in name only, really. Her main priority has just been her daughters and making sure that they survive. And so now that she's not sure how they're going to survive and how she's going to help her daughters move on with their lives and be successful, she's like, what do I do now? Which like, we also yeah. find out like the, the estate is really going to be going to like the next family member who's who I'm sure we'll meet next season too. No, I mean, that was a crazy cliffhanger because when Lady Featherington had straight for the money, I don't even think of her as being like so materialistic. Like how could she not care about her husband? She's smart enough to know that like he didn't just probably like have a heart attack and die. He was up to something. People were after him. People are after his money. He got into trouble all the time and she wanted to make sure that she and her daughters had a future and they don't. And so I feel like they're kind of in a very sense and sensibility kind of situation right now because essentially like the father has died. There is no male heir in the immediate family. I didn't even think about that the whole time when I was watching like the news of the murder unfold and Eloise comforting Penelope. Like I was just like, oh man, it sucks that their dad died. Oh, that's horrible. And they have no money. And now I'm like, oh, right. And they don't even get to keep the estate. They don't even get to do any of those things because it's just like a wife and three daughters. If this family member takes pity on them, if you will, he'll let them stay in the house, but he could also kick them out. And then what will they do? So that's also the risk. I mean, the Featheringtons are like destitute. I mean, Fiona, Marina kind of got as close of a happily ever after to what she was sort of hoping for given her circumstances. But, you know, so she's not quite like weighed down like the rest of the Featherington women. So hopefully she'll be happy in her new life and with a very nice husband. That's what's up with them. And so we've covered a little bit of Eloise this episode because her mission for like half of the season has been uncovering Lady Whistledown. The difference is in this episode she thinks that she's solved it she thinks that she has found her she has not found her she was in a carriage with benedict and genevieve de la croix i'm very curious to know what her real name is because we know she's faking the accent so she's probably faking the name too i couldn't help but think because her last name is de la croix i just kept i've got some Lacroix in my fridge and i just <laughs> yes. kept thinking how oh, it's like much that so so she visits the modiste quite early in the morning one day before the shop opens and and speaks to her i think in what she thinks is a very smart vague way i know why you are here miss eloise you're very smart and you care very much about the people in your life as you should but you must know i have no intention of compromising anyone That is good. Because the queen is enraged. So whoever was Adana should be careful. She's always like an entrepreneur in survival mode. So she's like, this girl, I need to get her out of here. So I'm going to play along. And then I can go back to being with her brother, Benedict, because he's also there. I think it's interesting because I think the show in some way still is trying to set us up to think, could it be her? Because there's the moment where she's actually at the Featherington household when Marina realizes she may still be pregnant. And you realize, oh, Genevieve is seeing this. Could it be that she's seeing this and like it's going to be in Whistledown later? Because you kind of think, well, she's not just in the 
in her own shop, she goes to people's homes. So there is the possibility. They could have probably also set it up in a in a way where we don't find out till next season. But finding out this season, I think will be interesting to see how we'll be watching Penelope more closely <laughs> in season two and beyond. In the book series, I think Lady Whistledown isn't revealed until like book three or four. So we go for a while without knowing who she is. So I, I wonder what the writing plan is that we now know exactly who she is. But we're not there yet. We're still at the ball where Eloise has kind of done as her mother asked and she's had her hems lengthened so that the dress goes all the way to the floor instead of stopping at her ankles and her hair is pinned up. She's sort of on a mission to um, tell the queen, I beat your, your runners and I have found Lady Whistledown's identity. And instead she talks to her main man and discovers some very interesting news. Yeah, so they're gonna bust Lady Whistledown that night because they know on a certain night every week is when she goes to the printing press. And so they're gonna plan to arrest her there or figure out who she is. Eloise uh, also talks to Daphne and, and she's like, you can leave early if you want to. And she's like, great, I will. Um, <laughs> so she kind of stalks the printing press kind of also and is able to warn Lady Whistledown and being like, it's a trap, get away, get away. So right now to everyone else, her identity will still be a secret because of Eloise's great work. And, you know, her big motivation of that was like, no, like she's this powerful woman and voice in society. How dare the queen want to silence and someone so amazing. I think she's so in awe of Lady Whistledown and her writing and just the influence she has. So the thought of silencing someone like that, Eloise is very against it. So she helps to maintain the identity unbeknownst to her of her own friend. <laughs> well, and it's, we have a, a moment between Eloise, Penelope's, if you will. Eloise is just like, we should aspire to be like Lady Whistledown, you know? Yeah. She's not married. All she does is like write, like she gets paid for like publishing her thoughts. Like, she's my hero. She's amazing. <laughs> Penelope's like, I hear you, but she's like, I just want to remind you that some people do kind of have to work for this kind of thing. And it's like, you're closer than you think to that kind of life because your well, sister is a duchess. Oh, yeah, fine. exactly. Like, like her sister's a duchess so like the way Daphne set up everyone else and of her siblings is like they're attached to a duchess for life so any matches they make will be that or better they're in a really good spot whereas Penelope is still having to fight for to even get noticed we know that Penelope has had a huge crush on Colin she might have let go of the idea that like she'll ever get to marry him I think it's sort of frustrating that like people don't even notice when they bump into her on the dance floor like I think she feels very invisible and it's hard to feel like you're going to make a really good match when nobody sees you. I do like that the Penelope's friendship is fully reconciled because they are able to lean in on each other to like talk about these things but also Penelope goes to Eloise when after the news of her father's death but also we find out that Colin will be going on that grand tour and, and travel uh, for a while so he'll be gone so Penelope goes to Eloise to kind of just cry and vent about these things too. She's heartbroken for many different reasons of like the loss of her friend Marina and not being able to be with her anymore. Her father is no longer in their lives and Colin is gonna be gone for who knows how long so and they're destitute. Yeah, they don't have any money. So it's like, and their house is going to be going to like a relative they've never met. Because so. women can't own property. <laughs> 
I wonder how the Whistledown money will come into play in the next season. So it'll be interesting to see how much they are able to stay afloat. But just to quickly talk about Anthony, I mean, he's still in love with Sienna. He has this idea of like, let's go to the ball together. We're gonna be so great. She turns him down. Like he shows up ready with flowers to like take her to the ball. And she's still with the other gentleman that she's been with because she's like, you know what? I'm only gonna survive on my terms. I'm not gonna rely on you. You keep showing up and then turning away. I mean, I think to her point, he could have easily not shown up and she would have been disappointed again. So the fact that he showed up, great. But where were you like the past 10 times for her? Well, and a couple of things happen between them in this episode. They lock eyes across the boxing match and they hook up underneath the bleachers. So they're still like, they still love each other. And then Anthony kind of gets the same notion Penelope was lecturing Eloise on where he's like, wait a minute, my sister's a duchess. My my brother-in-law is a duke. I'm a Viscount. Like no one's going to say anything if I show up with you. Like no one would dare. And Sienna's like, well, no one would say anything to you. People are just going to judge me, the woman, like the lower class working woman, our whole lives and he just doesn't see that that gentleman upstairs he sees me for who i am unlike you he does not wish for me to don some ridiculous gown and go with him to some absurd ball he does not wish for me to change she wants that freedom to still be who she is and be loved for who she is and not be expected to change in any way Also, they're not talking about marriage. Anthony is talking about a night at the ball. And like, you know, I I know that like plenty of jokes have been made about the mamas who are like out to get husbands for their daughters, but it's because of situations like the Featheringtons, how like you don't own anything. You can't have anything. Like you are the property. And so that's why it's so important to find a husband. Like if they had rights of their own, they wouldn't be so like, give me a husband. They don't. And Sienna knows that. And she's like, I'm never going to be accepted into your world. Also, it's not like you're trying to marry me. You're just trying to like... Right. Just one night. She sees how ridiculous the match is between the two of them. She rightfully so breaks his heart. He deserved it. It had to be done because she, like, she told him to leave her alone earlier and they just, like, can't leave each other alone. (laughs) So, you know, that kind of wakes up Anthony. And at the very end, when everyone is waving goodbye to Colin to go to Greece, he's like, I'll tell you what I'm, what's next for me. I am going to look for the future Mrs. Viscountess Bridgerton. Which we kind of know will happen. Yep. (laughs) So I think it'll just be like the how, you know, because I think something Sienna does tell him is like you are lost you don't realize your full responsibilities and you keep trying to run away from them goodbye forever because i'm not gonna clean up any future messes that you have so good for her and hopefully anthony will grow up more in next season so i i just had a thought because you know we hate mr darcy the first half of pride and prejudice because he's full of himself he pr- proposes to elizabeth in a way where he's really expects a yes just because of who he yeah. is and what what he has instead of like the kind of man he is. And obviously later on we learn that he is a good man. And I'm wondering if this is, I mean, granted, I think Anthony Bridgerton's like way worse. I would never compare him to Darcy, but I'm wondering if he's going to have that kind of transformation where he's like, oh, I am full of myself. I have been lording over my siblings and maybe I do need to do some listening and like work hard to like earn someone's love. I hope so. I hope he comes to that realization. Time will only tell. (laughs) 
Just to wrap up Daphne and Simon, they are at their ball and they are dancing their waltz when it starts to rain and it's very dramatic. I mean, everyone kind of runs off, but they stay in the rain. I love that Lady Danbury stops stops someone from like joining in. You think it's going to be this moment where like everyone's going to join in and dance in the rain and she's like, everyone else go home, leave these two alone. And she says it to the queen too. Yeah. The queen is here next to her and she's like, go home queen. Yeah. So, I feel like now that everything's out in the open between them, they can finally have this honest conversation of like, what does it mean to be together? And what does it mean to actually be in this marriage and not in name only and never see each other, but actually work together and and find a way to work through their issues. And I think, you know, Daphne gives that beautiful speech to him of like any imperfections, like whatever you're going through, like I'll be there with you. I'm not leaving. You can stop thinking that I'm leaving. The way that he grew up, he thought that he had to be perfect in order to deserve love. I love all of you. Even the the parts that you believe are are too dark and too shameful. Every scar, every flaw, every imperfection. I love you. You may think you are too damaged and too broken to ever allow yourself to be happy, but you can choose differently, Simon. You can choose to love me as much as I love you. I think that that was like a game changer for Simon and his sort of like attachment style to hear, oh, she already loves me. And I mean, the next thing we see, kind of the epilogue of the the whole episode is like, she's giving birth and they're having a child. I do wish that there had been like a step in between for Simon of actually like working through these issues because I feel like we don't fully see like his breakthrough of understanding that and believing it. Like, I wish there had been, like, some kind of symbolic thing of burning the letters or something, you know? Yeah. Like, even something as simple as that to be, like, I'm not my past and I'm not my father. And now, together with Daphne, I'm able to move forward. I feel like it was a little rushed. So, I just wish there had been something for Simon's character to be able to have that understanding and that breakthrough of this marriage is fully mine and Daphne wants to be with me and I want to be with her. So, together... We will move forward, but we don't fully get that, unfortunately. That's just my dream and wish (laughs) to be able to see that. You should write some Bridgerton fan fiction where he has that, like, you just made me think of the song Burn from Hamilton. Yep, (laughs) exactly. That's what I have in mind of, of Simon singing Burn, basically. Yeah, just some, I want him to sing, and it's not the same as Eliza's. As Eliza's letters, but something like, you know, I don't need your love anymore kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know. It could be, that sounds like the title of like a Nelton John song. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. So I totally agree with you. That's the dream ending. But instead they sort of have a very sort of passionate night where they, um, they do their thing. And then nine months later, she's giving birth and he's like, I think whatever this guy's, this little guy's name is, his name should start with an A because we have family tradition. Which I think was very sweet. It's just like acknowledging that their two families have come together and maintaining some Bridgerton traditions even within their new family. So I hope, you know, we do get to see some of their journey continue, even though the focus will be Anthony and Kate, just at least in the background, seeing how Simon is developing into being a father and a fa- and having that family. So one can dream, basically. One can dream. But now all we can really do is wait for season two. <laughs> 
I've heard that they're already starting to film at the end of February because of COVID, because of restrictions and everything. They've spread out filming like over months just to make things super safe. So the main cast, I think, is going to start a little later, but they're going. They're, they're, <laughs> season two is coming, and I think season three, I'm sure, too. Interesting to know how they're going to film all those ball scenes, because I'm pretty yeah. sure... I'm pretty sure they finished filming right before COVID hit. That's why all the press was done, you know, over Zoom and stuff like that. We'll see. Like I said, all we can do is wait and see. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us for another section of the Pemberley podcast. We really love talking about this. Stay tuned for um, whatever our next, obviously Bridgerton wasn't a Jane Austen adaptation, but it was still a lot of fun. And stay tuned to see what our, our next adaptation discussion is going to be about. Out. If you have suggestions of what we should cover next, feel free to reach out to us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. And even though we'll be going on a hiatus, you can still keep up with us on social media at The Pemberley. Goodbye! Goodbye!